Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching the scripture this morning is from john 4 verses 5 through 26. so he came to a samaritan city called sikar near the plot of ground that jacob had given to his son joseph Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you, what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The word of the Lord.
Well, good morning again. On this third Sunday in Lent, if you are new to our gathering, I'm Kara, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the lead pastor here at Genesis. A welcome to those of you who are in the chapel and to those of you who are joining us online today. And I encourage you, if you're viewing online, to use the chat if you're able, especially we'll have an all play in here. Um, <clears throat> it's a great way for you to also be kind of included in the conversation. Whether you are here today with a deep desire to engage in worship or are tentatively wondering if this is a safe place to engage, or maybe you're here because someone convinced you to get in the car or join online, no matter how you arrive, you are welcome here. Would you pray with me? God of conversation, we come to you today thirsty. Thirsty for hope, thirsty for good news, thirsty for a glimpse of you. So today we pray, move in these words like a current. Give us the courage to wade into your story with open eyes and open hearts. Give us the courage to drink this moment in. We are listening and we are grateful. Amen. So I get a little fixated on water consumption. If my husband Josh here, if he mentions he has a headache, my first and default answer is always, have you had a glass of water lately? If I'm feeling sluggish or tired, I get a big glass of water and I add a, pack, a part of a packet of liquid IV to it. And if you've been around me lately, I've likely offered you some liquid IV as well. I think I did it in staff meeting this week. <laughs> um, and I did it at our, at our Riverside gathering. I am often with a little pack of liquid IV in my bag. You know, as a kid in the 80s, I grew up drinking out of garden hoses in the backyard or school drinking fountains, which is terrible. It was terrible water. And yet now I make my kid lug water with her wherever she goes. In fact, besides the, the car keys and my phone, a bottle of water for Freya is always in hand when we leave the house. I mean, it's like I'm like, what would happen if she were thirsty for even a moment and had to wait? For some re reason, hydration and quenching thirst, they feel particularly important to my success as a parent. Maybe it's that ability to meet the most basic of needs. Maybe it's my own physical reminder that water is life. Today we're not talking only about the hydration kind of water, but also about the living water that Jesus offers the woman at the well. So let's begin with an art all play. So this piece up here, um, it's created by Lauren Wright Pittman. Um, it comes from our Lenten series that we're using from Sanctified Art called Seeking. So take a look at this art piece. If you need to get a little closer to get a better look, feel free to come on up. Will, if you're okay, if you could just zoom the camera in on it a little. Um, I am curious, what do you see in the image? Or what intrigues you or raises questions for you? And I'm going to be brave and sit in the silence as long as necessary. So. What do you see in the picture? Joan said their hands are outstretched toward each other. 
and symbol of the Holy Spirit in the drop of water in that dove. Kristen said the intent gazes. Mm-hmm. Roxanne noted that, that it's all very like there's a focused center where the hands are crossing, where there's the drop of water, the jug, the sun um, above them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both people, yeah. Nico said both people are level on the page, that they are kind of at the same eye length, eye height. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah said that there there is a difference a little bit in the in the shading so that um, the one side with Jesus is a little bit lighter and the woman's side is a little bit dimmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michelle said, but their hands are crossing in the midline towards each other and crossing into that. Yes, Dan, Dan, <laughs> Dan, you got the like next layer of stuff. Nice. I know. <laughs> Will, for those of you online, Will just said somebody went to seminary. <laughs> And Dan almost did a spit take. So that was really awesome. Those of you in the room. Mm, John is finding it curious that he sees what, if it is the sun, like that it's kind of in front of everything. Um, and for those of you online who didn't catch it, uh, Dan mentioned that within the picture, on one half you see Jesus in the temple, and on the other half you see the woman and the place where the Samaritans would traditionally worship uh, Mount Herzim. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, Sarah's curious about the circles. Um, there's a circle around Jesus, and then uh, the similar size circle for the sun. Well, this is one of my um, favorite pieces of art in our um, in our series um, for for all of the reasons that you all mentioned. Plus, there's so much vivid imagery in it. Today we're going to be exploring the story from John's gospel of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. It's this very robust passage, and actually it includes far more than I had John read for us today. It was um, another like 28 more verses, but I, yeah, see, (laughs) I am always looking out for you guys, right? So I'm just going to quickly summarize the couple verses before and the many verses after in a brief summary. Okay, so Jesus leaves Judea and he's heading back to Galilee. 
He's just had a conversation with Nicodemus, who's a leader of the Jews, about being born again. And up until our portion today, Jesus' ministry and mission was really centered on people and places familiar within Judaism. And now we see Jesus journeying to Samaria, which represents both this geological, geographical and theological shift for his ministry and mission. So for centuries, the Samaritans and Jews occupied these neighboring lands, and they practiced very similar religions while living in kind of a lot of tension and animosity with one another. In 2 Kings, they, uh, we hear that the intensity of this rivalry began about 300 B.C., and the Samaritan shrine on Mount Gerizim, which is on the one side of the picture, it competed, or they felt like it competed with the temple in Jerusalem for where people would be worshiping. And so Jewish troops then destroyed that shrine in 128 BCE. And that hostility stems from this deep disagreement about the correct location of the place of worship. And there's this stark distinction between chapter 3 and chapter 4. So chapter 3, there's Nicodemus, who's this male leader of the Jews, speaking to Jesus under cover of night. And in chapter 4, we have an unnamed woman. The woman is so often unnamed, unfortunately. Um, And she's from an enemy people, meeting Jesus at the height of day. Unsurprisingly, Jesus breaks boundaries of normal and societal expectations. But most simply put, we see Jesus taking the good news of God's love from the particularity of a Jewish expectation out into the wider world for all. And Jesus presents this radical newness in this interaction. He's telling her a time will come when people won't be divided over things like where and how people worship. He's alluding to some, something so incomprehensible for his listeners and the manner in which he's extending this newness is indicative of the radical inclusiveness of it. Both the message and those who were included in the message are world-altering. So Jesus and the woman engage in conversation, and then she rushes, actually, she rushes back home to tell others that she encountered Jesus. In that time, the disciples return, and they urge Jesus um, to eat something, and suddenly Samaritans start showing up because this woman went back to her town, told them what had happened, and they all come out to meet Jesus. They ask Jesus to stay with them, and he and the disciples stay for a couple of days before setting back on their way to Galilee. Many of us have heard sermons about the Samaritan woman at the well before, and until more recently, many scholars have not been kind in their characterization of the Samaritan woman. While early church fathers and mothers regarded her as wise, and Eastern Christians regarded her as enlightened, Western churches have often treated her only as an example of sexual sin and as one who is spiritually obtuse. Perhaps that's how you've heard the text interpreted. I know that's the way that I was kind of given this story when I was younger. That's how I saw it for a long time. But I want want to invite you to consider another reading of her story, another perspective on the narrative. A woman in first century Palestine had little to no agency when it came to marital life. So having five husbands was likely something she had very little control over. A man could divorce his wife for the smallest of reasons, but a woman herself could not instigate divorce. Women had to rely on a male provider, so the death of a husband or a divorce would put her in a terrible and precarious state. 
The choices were either that her husband had, husbands had died or divorced her, likely because she didn't produce any offspring. And if her husband died, she would have likely been obligated to marry his younger brother, fulfilling Deuteronomic law. The fullness of this woman's story, five times divorced or widowed, no children to take her in and support her, and now possibly living with her dead husband's brother, all for the sake of her survival. Jesus sees her truth and he names it, not with condemnation or shame or naming any of that as sin. Those are categories and labels that others have ascribed to her from a more modern reading. A single narrative that I want to encourage you to question. Caroline Lewis, in her lovely book called Belonging, writes that tone is everything when it comes to dialogue. How do you imagine Jesus speaking these words? Do you hear him as accusatory in this? If so, is that how you imagine Jesus to be? Or might we imagine Jesus uttering words in a caring and empathetic tone of voice? Either way, it tells us a bit about who we see Jesus as and how we actually might think that Jesus would interact with us. The reason Jesus goes to Sychar is because of love. In John 3.16, that God so loved the world. So Jesus makes this journey. Would he make this journey only to meet the woman with scorn or ridicule or judgment? What happens to our interpretation if we consider his tone more like this in his response to her? I know. I know your plight. I know the indignity and dishonor with which you have had to live so much of your life. I know the sorrow you've had to endure, and I'm so sorry. Dr. Lewis expands on the conversation about Jesus and the woman at the well by looking at these five main themes that arise from the text, which gives us insight what, about what it means to follow after Jesus. She names in these verses the themes of discomfort, of wonder, of trust and letting go, and the power of our story, all is central to our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus takes his disciples on this journey, one that they probably would have complained a bit about. Yes, it is the most direct route from Judea to Galilee. But there's a chance that the disciples weren't super excited about it. It was hot out. Jesus was thirsty. I love these very embodied images of Jesus as both God and human. Jesus was hot and thirsty. The woman, too, is likely hot and tired, drawing water in the heat of the day, and she comes across this Jewish man she doesn't know. Awkward doesn't begin to describe the scene. She was at a disadvantage because of her gender and her ethnicity, but she did have the advantage of being a local and having access to the water at the well. Jesus puts himself in a vulnerable position by asking someone else to meet his needs. And in his vulnerability, he was taking great risks by speaking with her, crossing cultural and religious and social lines. And in spite of all the awkwardness of the situation, the woman stays remarkably curious. She's not just a passive recipient of Jesus' request for water or his offer of living water. She knows the societal barriers that keep her rooted in her own place, and yet she still challenges Jesus' authority over her ancestors. She appears at first to take Jesus' words literally, much like the, the story of Nicodemus, but quickly she seems to understand 
that something more is going on here, that Jesus has something that she needs. And so she reciprocates his request and asks him for living water. She held out hope that something new was taking place here. Encountering and following Jesus may require some curiosity on our part, as it did for her. She had a lot of reasons to not be vulnerable or trusting with this person, or, for, or anyone for that matter. The whole reason she would be at the well at noon would be to avoid others, and yet she boldly asks him for something, for living water. It makes one highly vulnerable to ask a request of the divine And yet it's experiences like hers that can remind us that it is so worth it to name our need to our creator. And there's reciprocity in this trust. She trusts Jesus with the truth of her story. And he, in turn, entrusts his name to her. In verse 26, Jesus tells her, I am. Interestingly, the he that we see in the text that's printed in our um, liturgy today is not in the Greek. Jesus saying, I am, which is the sacred name of God, revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus. And Jesus, in sharing his identity, presents himself as fulfillment of the covenant, the one to fulfill the messianic expectations of both the Jews and the Samaritans. And her response is to leave the work that she came to do, much like the disciples who left their nets and followed after Jesus. And she ran off to share her experience. So this woman, this woman who is unnamed, who fits none of the social or cultural categories that would befit her new state, is a disciple of Jesus, an apostle to the village from where she came. In her encounter with Jesus, the woman had to let go of her own expectations for the Messiah. When you're waiting for God to deliver your people from the tyranny of Roman rule, You don't imagine that it's coming at the hands of the sweaty enemy asking you for a drink of water. Finally, we learn about the importance of our stories as she returns to her town and tells people about her experience. She doesn't give them a theological treatise. She doesn't give them an argument or a sermon, simply a word of what happened to her and an invitation to come and see. Have you ever had the most delicious piece of fruit? When it's peach season, our household goes bonkers, like totally bonkers. We literally sit around the dinner table exclaiming, oh my goodness, this peach is the best peach I've ever had. I deliver peaches to our friends. I bring them along with me wherever we go. Usually we have to end up limiting how many peaches we can have in a day at our house. (laughs) Because when you're in the midst of goodness, you just can't help but tell it to others. When we encounter life, we want to share it. And that's what happens with this woman. Whatever mystery takes place at that well in that conversation, it moves her. It compels her to go back to this place. This place where she was likely either a person someone pitied or gossiped about. And even as she shares her story, she questions herself. Right? She's like, this couldn't actually be the Messiah, could it? But she still shares without having all of the answers or the certainty. She shares out of curiosity and wonder and hope. This isn't systematic theology or an adherence to doctrine or a well-articulated defense. This is instead an act of hope shared with others in the messy, question-filled series of moments where we process 
our experiences with God within community. It can be so, so easy to want, to think that there's like one right way to do this life of faith, right? I mean, you know my Enneagram oneself desperately wants there to be like one way to be a disciple, one way to follow Jesus. But what the woman at the well offers us is another portrait of what encountering and following Jesus might look like. Another stream into our own narratives of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus invites the woman and all of us to be filled with living water, living water as belonging and abiding with God, simply finding our source in Jesus. The living water, this belonging in Christ, is what the Samaritan woman goes to share with her town. Her story is multifaceted, as all of our stories are, right? We are not a single narrative, but instead we contain a multitude. Welcome back, kiddos. We, um, we contain a multitude of experiences, of joys and heartbreaks, of holy moments and terrible decisions and inherited traumas and hopes and wildness. Her encounter with Jesus at the well gives her encouragement to share this new arc of her story, that there is something new taking place, a new signpost where she receives something different than she has received from the world where she receives instead welcome and belonging and living water. This same woman who was likely drawing water at the time of day so she didn't have to interact with others ends up going back to that same community. She is brave and generous, even with a community that didn't always extend that to her. We learn a lot about the journey of discipleship when we consider those movements that the, that the woman of the well experienced. Her discomfort, her wonder, her trust, her letting go, and the power of her story. And this is not a linear path, but there is fluidity in it. Because relationships, certainly life-giving relationships aren't stagnant. There is ebb and flow, and discipleship is simply relationship with God and with one another. It's practicing a faith that looks towards Jesus, that seeks to model itself after Jesus, and continually moves us from outcast into our belovedness. It is belonging, where trust and mutuality and truth-telling exist within the sacredness of relationship. And as we close, I want to offer you encouragement to carry with you this week. Your own experiences of faith the good, the bad, the encouraging, the traumatizing, the cringeworthy, the earnest, those stories can be trusted. Your own encounters of your experiences with Jesus, good and bad, are worthy of reflection. And you, as an ordinary and extraordinary human containing multitudes and many facets, you matter to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, help us believe that a glass of water given to us by a stranger can taste like justice. Help us believe that honest conversation has the power to change us. Help us believe that we all have a voice and something to say. Help us believe that Jesus loves the outcast, the ignored, the shamed, and the abandoned. Help us believe in asking questions, in leaning in curiously, 
in giving people a drink. Help us be brave enough to give people that drink and to ask for one when we need it as well. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself yourself nearby nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.